Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The large, loud, and sometimes violent protest against the Dakota Access oil pipeline near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation is one of the biggest non-election news stories over the past few months. Dakota Access has put a spotlight on pipelines across the country, including at least two here in the mid-state. Even though there is opposition to the Atlantic Sunrise and Mariner East 2 pipelines, there is nowhere near as vocal, even though uh, original plans have changed after residents and landowners have complained. We'll look at those projects on today's program, but kind of use Dakota Access as a jumping-off point to talk about the pipelines across Pennsylvania and across the country. Joining us on the program today is Chris Stockton, a spokesman for Williams Partners, the company that is building the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline Project. Mr. Stockton, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Also joining us uh, throughout the program today is Marie Cusick, WITF State Impact Pennsylvania reporter. Marie, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Scott. And Marie, we've talked uh, many times on the program about pipelines, but uh, this is a good opportunity with all the attention that Dakota Access is getting to kind of uh, provide a status report and zero in on the Pennsylvania project. Yeah, it's a big story. All right, let's go to uh, Chris Stockton. Chris, for those who don't know, Please provide a uh, brief description of the Atlantic Sunrise Project. Sure, Scott. Um, Atlantic Sunrise basically is an opportunity, an opportunity to um, connect uh, Pennsylvania uh, supplies of natural gas with markets um, all throughout the uh, the East Coast. Uh, we operate currently about uh, 3,000 miles of pipe in Pennsylvania, but uh, unfortunately, as the uh, uh, production has, has grown in recent years, they're just we don't have the infrastructure in place right now to allow um, uh, customers to uh, to directly access that production. So essentially, it's a it's about the, the project is about a three billion dollar project. It would add about 180 miles of uh, of new pipe, but in the process, it would uh, connect. Um, uh, new sources of uh, Pennsylvania gas supply with an existing pipeline system, which is the largest in the country, called the Transco Pipeline, which provides about 10% of the nation's natural gas. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, you brought up a few issues there in your first uh, answer to, to my question. Uh, number one, you mentioned that uh, this would be going from uh, natural gas supplies in northeastern Pennsylvania to other uh, customers on the East Coast, uh, but not here in Pennsylvania, correct? Not necessarily, Scott. We actually provide about a third of the gas consumed in Pennsylvania. So although there are no um, direct taps currently planned off the new infrastructure uh, to uh, uh, local uh, utility companies, um, once that gas enters the Transco pipeline system, uh, it could go to Philadelphia, it could go to um, UGI customers like Philadelphia Gas Works. It could literally go anywhere in Pennsylvania once it enters our system. And it also doesn't preclude opportunities in the future from uh, power plants or others uh, from tapping that line. So even though it's not part of our current plan, um, those things uh, often once you, it's like the chicken or the egg. You know, what you have to have the pipeline in place first in order to create those opportunities. And I can tell you, actually, we're, we are already talking with power generators who are very interested in connecting to the line uh, to uh, provide uh, a source of uh, fuel uh, for electric power generation as, as well. So it's a uh, so it's it's not 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 necessarily it is something that uh, certainly uh, folks in Pennsylvania uh, could benefit from. So just to be clear, when you say that uh, you're already talking to power generators, we're not talking about uh, directly uh, consumers, homeowners, property owners, business owners, anything like that. You're talking about uh, providing natural gas that would power a generating station, correct? Power and electric substation, which does directly provide service to uh, homes and businesses in Pennsylvania. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yes, there is absolutely that uh, direct uh, uh, potential there. And then, in addition, um, you know, we worked with uh, uh, Penn State and developed an economic an economic impact study, which actually uh, um, uh, forecast about a 1.6 billion dollar economic benefit for the state of Pennsylvania that this uh, project. Uh, uh, could deliver so so certainly there is uh, opportunities for the uh, 
uh, state of Pennsylvania to, uh, to benefit directly from this project. Mm-hmm. And I do want to talk about uh, those economic benefits and jobs and those kind of things uh, in, in just a few minutes. But uh, I still want to go back to the big picture uh, mm-hmm. contribution to the nation's fuel supply. When you say that that infrastructure is not in place now, this gas that would derive from northeastern Pennsylvania, where would it be going? Sure. Um, basically, it could be going literally anywhere. Um, once that gas gets into the existing Transco pipeline system, which, like I said, it goes from South Texas all the way to New York, uh, but for uh, um, literally decades, that gas has, flow, has flowed from south to north. And what this makes this project specifically really uh, interesting is that you know the 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 supply in our country has literally changed overnight and 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 our industry has been turned upside down and now we have more supply entering the transco pipeline system from states like pennsylvania than we do from the gulf of mexico which is where for, for decades that's where it originated so now what 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 Atlantic sunrise represents is a fundamental shift in the uh, energy consumption in our country and you'll have gas from pennsylvania entering the transco pipeline system and from there literally going to utility companies uh, power plants um, uh, industrial users uh, all along the east coast which those consumers are uh, they're they're anxious for that access that they currently don't have to uh, pennsylvania gas supply are you encouraged by uh, president-elect trump's commitment to fossil fuel production and has this changed any of your plans if not here in pennsylvania but across the country you know, really, it's 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 you know, gas, natural gas is, is it's not a partisan issue. It's something I think that uh, Republicans and Democrats agree that uh, you know, natural gas is a uh, it's a good thing. We have a tremendous opportunity in this country, and uh, you know, even President Obama was was you know was very supportive of um, uh, natural gas uh, development. You know, certainly uh, it needs to be done responsibly, but uh, natural gas provides so many benefits from a uh, uh, emissions uh, standpoint, uh, from a cost standpoint, and, uh, and I think it's just a, a tremendous opportunity that uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats agree um, that we need to uh, take advantage of. I think that uh, you know there'd be a lot of people, both Democrats and Republicans, who would agree with you on natural gas itself. You know, there may be some opposition to fracking, but the, the pipeline issue, especially, seems to be drawing out a lot of uh, opposition here recently. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the opposition or the protest here in Pennsylvania. Some of the landowners that uh, Atlantic Sunrise would cross their land, uh, they're concerned about the environmental impact and uh, the studies that have been made that they weren't thorough enough. Uh, They're concerned about the effect on property values and that the leases wouldn't be commensurate with uh, the depreciative loss. There are also concerns about the attention, not not enough attention being uh, paid to a Native American historic presence in the path of the pipeline. What do you say to all those things? Sure. Um, you know, the, the, this, this process that we're involved in with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, I guess I just want to be very clear, it's very different from the process that uh, when you see uh, projects like Dakota Access. Um, you know, we've been involved as an interstate natural gas transmission pipeline. We fall under the, the jurisdiction of the FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and we have a process called the pre-filing process, which, which really um, uh, encourages um, a lot of upfront uh, disclosure and transparency um, uh, as we develop our pipeline route. Now, we've been at this since the spring of 2014. And throughout that process, we have uh, uh, made uh, changes to about half of our route as a direct result of feedback we've received from communities, from landowners, uh, and from agencies. And uh, so, so certainly we're, we're, you know, we've, we've tried to demonstrate our willingness to, uh, to listen and be responsive. Um, another big important distinction is that uh, we have com- we, we, we conduct field surveys, cultural resource surveys, um, on uh, we've completed that on 96 percent of the uh, of the route. So we have, and that's something that uh, other infrastructure projects um, uh, they're not mandated to uh, to to to. to complete that uh, number of, uh, of surveys. So, so we're, we've tried to be very thorough and meticulous in our uh, uh, environmental evaluation. Uh, the, the, the FERC uh, did release their draft environmental impact statement last spring, uh, which uh, concluded that uh, 
you know, the, 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 the route that we had chosen and the, uh, the decisions we were making were uh, um, environmentally, uh, you know, they were sound and, and, and were defendable. And so we're, we're certainly uh, feel like we've, we've made good progress. You know, from, you know, we talk about opposition, um, you know, we've heard from uh, uh, folks who have concerns. You know what, I think a lot of times uh, um, people who, 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 who have concerns, it becomes this issue of, uh, at, the, at the root of it, it is a, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a, is it a, um, I feel like you have to choose between, um, you know, fossil fuels and alternatives and renewables. And, uh, and well, I guess what we've tried to emphasize with folks is that, uh, you know, this really isn't an either or um, a choice, is that, uh, you know, certainly renewables have their place and, and you're going to see renewables continue to grow uh, in our nation's uh, uh, power uh, power generation portfolio, but uh, but but natural gas is is here. Uh, it's an important fuel source, and you have to have it in order to provide fuel when the wind doesn't blow and the uh, sun doesn't shine. And uh, so it's really it's 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 not an either or choice. And uh, and we've actually heard from a lot of folks, uh, many many folks in Pennsylvania who are very supportive mm-hmm. of the project as well uh, because of the uh, the benefits it offers and and because of the you know Pennsylvania's economy. I mean, it's so um, it's 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 benefits so much from the industry. Uh, there's a lot of jobs from producers in the in the state that uh, that depend on getting this gas to market. Okay, well and, let me uh, let me let me bring up though a couple of things that uh, they that uh, those who oppose or at least protest this mm-hmm. have to say. Property values, uh, regional realtors. There was an article in uh, the Lebanon Daily News here recently that said uh, that there is no way that there would not be uh, reduction in property values uh, if the pipeline went through uh, certain properties. And in fact, they estimated 5 to 40% decrease in values. And uh, this realtor or a couple of realtors said that sure. could make these properties hardly saleable. That's, and I would I would challenge that I would challenge that we've we've been there's there's numerous numerous studies and actually this was covered very extensively in the uh, the FERC's uh, draft environmental impact statement they address property values there's numerous studies out there that have been done that uh, um, uh, essentially uh, conclude that uh, you know the, the presence of an underground transmission pipeline uh, does not have any measurable impact on property values. And, uh, and that's something that we've seen in our history. You know, we've been doing this for a very long time. Um, it's one of these things that, uh, um, you know, it's underground, it's out of sight, it's out of mind for, for a lot of people. And, uh, and there are, there's numerous studies which actually uh, support that uh, there's no measurable impact on property values. Right. I just I just want to say that certainly that could have been true historically, uh, but as this building boom has grown, uh, this has become an issue in the forefront of people's minds. So um, property values are uh, very much a perception issue. So if if suddenly people prefer quartz countertops to granite countertops, I mean suddenly that matters to people. So pipelines certainly are in the public mind, and and there's a lot of news stories about them. So you know I. You know, I personally haven't done any studies about this, but it, I believe it could be it could be shifting. Mm-hmm. So perception, as Marie says, could be a big issue. All right. So another thing, uh, Chris, are you still there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the environmental safety part of it, uh, you know, we hear stories about uh, instances where there are leaks possibly fires. Uh, there was the, the quarter million gallon spill in uh, the Colonial Pipeline in Alabama in September and just uh, recently a, a leak in that, that same pipeline. Uh, locally, 55,000 gallons of Sunoco spill in the Susquehanna River last month. Can you say that these, uh, that th- these concerns about safety are unfounded? I can tell you that safety is the most important aspect of our operations, and in fact, um, you can look at statistics provided by the uh, National Transportation Safety Board. You know, pipelines are the safest way to transport energy, and I can tell you that for specifically for uh, the Atlantic Sunrise Project, we've committed to go above and beyond federal regulations. We're putting in thicker walled pipe in certain areas. We're going to be inspecting the uh, the pipe more often than is required. Uh, we're going to be uh, inspe- um, X-raying 100% of our welds uh, during construction. Um, we've 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 committed that we are going to go above and beyond because safety is something that we recognize is is important not just to the communities. It's important to us as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I just want to add, I think it definitely, def- definitely safety is really important to these companies, but um, there, there are incidents and, and people have been hurt. In Pennsylvania, we had a, a man uh, out in Westmoreland County last spring who was severely burned by a pipeline explosion. Um, another man was killed last year um, that was on a much smaller pipeline that they were excavating. Um, but I think one, one key point to remember in all this is um, that while FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, is charged with citing and uh, approving these projects, that, that the safety is regulated under the U.S. Department of Transportation uh, at an agency called FIMSA, which is the Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration, that, that agency is very under-resourced. Uh, they have a couple hundred people um, for our nation's network of 2.5 million miles of pipeline. Uh, so as a reporter, just even trying to get uh, press releases or information from them about uh, when there's an explosion, it, they're just very difficult to deal with because they, they have so few people. So I think certainly uh, one one way that I think people's fears and concerns could be helped is uh, beefing up that administration. Mm-hmm. We got an email here, Chris, from uh, one of our listeners, Robert, wanted to know how much of this gas will go overseas? You know, it's difficult to say. We don't export gas, um, uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, this this project is really about connecting Pennsylvania gas with um, the Transco pipeline. And once it enters the Transco pipeline, it's going to go to uh, markets all along the East Coast. And, uh, you know, it's certainly possible that uh, uh, gas could be exported. Um, but, uh, but we also know that uh, the vast majority of this gas is going to displace gas that originally was coming from the Gulf of Mexico. And, in fact, we have a, a power producer as far south as Alabama who's a customer on this project who's going to be um, uh, consuming gas. So you think about that. I mean, Alabama is so close to the Gulf of Mexico, but yet from an economic standpoint, you know, power generators as far south as Alabama – on, right out there on the Gulf, they want access to Pennsylvania gas, and it's because Pennsylvania gas is is, is so uh, abundant and also so uh, so affordable. Chris Stockton is a spokesman for Williams Partners, the company that's building the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline. Uh, Chris, thank you for providing that update. You bet. All right. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Women's Cancer Center, delivering preventive, diagnostic, surgical, medical, and chemotherapy services to women with gynecologic cancer or other conditions related to the reproductive systems. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org WCC. Welcome back to Smart Talk. I'm Marie Cusick, WITF State Impact Pennsylvania reporter, uh, is with us throughout the program today. And Marie, just wanted to use this portion of the program to kind of provide a national perspective on uh, the, the, the pipeline issue across the, the country. Dakota Access is bringing a lot of attention to pipelines, one of the reasons we're doing this program today. There are differences in the opposition to that project and some of the projects we're hearing about here in Pennsylvania. But are there similarities? I think the big similarity is that this is all part of, you know, what I call the shale boom 2.0. You know, we've had this huge domestic drilling boom with shale oil, shale gas here in Pennsylvania. And as the companies uh, have this, this huge production, they have a glut, they want to move it to new markets, as we just heard from Chris uh, talking about Williams. They uh, are building this huge network of new pipelines, so there's just a lot of new construction going on, and that has certainly created problems uh, here in Pennsylvania, elsewhere around the country, about people who, who don't want to see these projects happen. There seems to be a groundswell of support for uh, the Dakota Access protesters. Is that because of the Native American uh, connection? You know, I haven't been out to North Dakota. I have not covered that. But certainly I think that it brings up a lot of issues about, you know, Native American sovereign rights and how how we treat uh, these people who were here in this continent before Europeans arrived. So I think certainly um, as they've banded together in large numbers and protested uh, this, that's become, you know, one of the reasons that it's garnered so much national attention. Do you think that that uh, support for uh, the protesters, Dakota Access, may translate to other projects across the country? I think there's a couple things going on. I think simultaneously there is a a movement on the left and environmental groups and and climate activists who are, like, 
pulling these projects together and trying to tie the threads and say, hey, look, we need to stop building fossil fuel infrastructure, and this is important. Um, I wrote a story uh, recently for NPR about there were, in early October, uh, climate activists actually simultaneously shut down the flow of some Canadian oil sands pipelines all at the same time. Uh, they, they cut the chain link fence, and they, and they broke in, and they actually turned off these safety valves. So at the same time, there's that a national movement happening and people saying, hey, look at this project, hey, look at that project, and tying it to all together for people. There's also, on the local level, there's people just, a lot of people being affected by this because one of the things I've realized in covering this industry over the last few years is that it, it touches so many people because it's such a dispersed infrastructure. You know, you, you drill a well, you have a well here, you have a pipeline there, you have a compressor station there, and it, it just touches a lot of people, and it ends up being in a lot of people's backyards. So suddenly, as we have all this shale oil and gas production, people are waking up and saying, hey, wait a minute. What are the trends in pipeline construction across the country? Well, like I said, there's just a huge build-out of projects because um, both here in Pennsylvania with our, our huge gas supply, as Chris Stockton mentioned, uh, the supply has drastically shifted overnight. That's true. Um, we do have suddenly this huge production. We are now number two in the nation after Texas. Pennsylvania is uh, the second largest natural gas producer in the nation. And just a few years ago, we were talking about importing natural gas in this country, and now we're talking about exporting it. So suddenly you have a huge new supply center, and you have projects when they want to move it. And frankly, they do have a glut. Uh, that's one of the reasons prices are so low is they overproduced, and they want to move it, and they want to sell it uh, to different markets at higher prices. All right. Let's uh, take a phone call from Jim and Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes. I am a very strong environmentalist. Uh, we have uh, geothermal in our house, and we are in the process of installing solar panels. But I, as an environmentalist, I really don't understand why so many environmentalists are uh, opposed to pipelines. Uh, it seems to me that unless we're all going to go off the grid, uh, we're going to have to use fossil fuels for a period of time, at least until we get to 100% sustainable energy. And, there, and to transport that uh, fossil fuel, there's three alternatives. One is trucks, two is trains, and three is pipelines. There, it, there's just been a, a lot of study on this, and pipelines are much, much safer. They're not perfectly safe, but they're, they're a lot safer. Just today on your news, you reported a tanker truck crash on I-81 that had a massive fire. And, you know, I, I just have to ask my fellow environmentalists, you know, until we get to 100% sustainable energy, do you really want, in effect, rolling bombs on our highways and, and trains? It's, I, I think pipelines are, are a much safer alternative until we get to 100% sustainable energy. All right, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for your call. Marie, I'm sure this is an issue you've looked into. Yeah, and one of the points I want to make uh, is that we are using natural gas a lot more in electric power generation, and people might not think of that as, you know, you might you flip on your stove burner and you see the gas burning there, you think about heating your home, but it is becoming a much larger and larger share of electric power. So until about the mid-2000s, about half of our electricity came from burning coal. So now it's about a third gas, a third coal, and um, that is really starting to shift to be more natural gas, and it's projected to be more gas will overtake coal, and it will become more natural gas, more renewable energy. So um, one of the there has been a building boom of power plants, natural gas power plants too. So that becomes electricity for your home, powers your home or business. Um, so I think people don't always think of that end use uh, as something that could potentially benefit them because gas. Although it's a fossil fuel, is a much, much cleaner fossil fuel, cleaner burning fossil fuel than coal. There's still certainly uh, questions about its overall impact on climate change, uh, given the methane emission issue. But um, I think you need pipelines not only to get it to people's homes and businesses or manufacturing plants, but to get it to power plants. Mm -hmm. But getting back to Jim's point, though, about yeah. the transmission of natural gas. Well, one of the reasons I, I think that sometimes the companies don't feel like or people don't feel like they have the social license to build a pipeline even though as he mentioned it's the safest form of transport is that if you are exporting it like we're going to talk later about the mariner east right. two line um if you're exporting it how you know 
how can you argue that, okay, that's the safest way to, to move it. But if you're tearing up my backyard, uh, then you're sending it to Europe to make plastics. I mean, it's just, you, or you're sending it to another country or even out of state. It's like, well, I'm, I'm a Pennsylvanian and I want our cheap, abundant natural gas. And I w- would love to tap into this line. But even if you live in Lancaster County, you can't even tap into the Atlantic Sunrise line to get natural gas to your home. So it ends up being for some people, it's, it's just all costs and no benefits. And those other benefits that, you know, lower energy costs or, or more jobs through, you know, using it as a feedstock to manufacturers or replacing coal, those are just sort of like less tangible and less direct, you know, they're not direct to me, the consumer. So um, in, right in front of me, they're, they're, they're more sort of vague uh, benefits down the road. So I think that's one of the reasons you have people really upset about you know if you're building a super highway for natural gas it's a big transmission line through my property that i can't even tap into if i want gas that's a problem something you mentioned and i just want to ask this final question before i go on to our next segment uh you mentioned plastics and you mentioned exports talk about that and what you're referring to yeah, well, so we uh, first part of the program, we were talking about the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline. That's natural gas. But I think later on, we're going to discuss right. the Mariner system, which is natural gas liquids. And right now, that's being pretty much exclusively exported. Uh, so it, it moves natural gas liquids from the Marcellus Shale in western Pennsylvania to a terminal near Philadelphia. And they get on big tanker ships, and they take them uh, across to Europe. So that is just, it's hard to sell that to people as hey, you're benefiting um, because we're exporting uh, natural gas liquids to make plastics in Europe. Even, you know, there, over the summer, I was actually on a plane flying into Philadelphia, and there was a big giant tanker ship that has the slogan that says shale gas for Europe on the side of it. And I was sort of like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is for Europe. And, and you know, when you're t- trying to seize people's land and cut down their trees uh, and invoke the power of eminent domain, um, it's just a pretty hard sell. All right. So we're going to talk with a couple now, actually three people who have been involved in uh, opposing the Atlantic uh, Sunrise Project. Joining us is uh, Mark and uh, Melinda Clutterbuck, uh, founder of the group Lancaster Against Pipelines. Mr. Mr. Clutterbuck, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. Also joining us on the phone is uh, Susan Capiello, who is a landowner uh, that the pipeline would go through her property. Ms. Capiello, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. All right. So, Mark Melinda, let me let me start with you. Um, I, I said to you when I met you this morning that uh, you're very familiar to me because uh, we have uh, seen a lot of coverage between uh, uh, Marie and the television coverage of your opposition to the Atlantic Sunrise Project. Why do you oppose that project? Yeah, there are, are a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of the the largest reasons is obviously the environmental impacts and um, the draft environmental impact study that FERC produced on the Atlantic Sunrise Project talks about 330 water bodies that are being crossed, 250 wetlands that are being crossed, 45 interior forests that will be permanently fragmented, um, clear-cutting 950 acres of forests, um, 2,700 acres of uh, existing vegetation that are going to be wiped out, and, um, and yet the uh, draft environmental impact study says that there will be no significant environmental impact to this project. And I think that the the opposition that we're seeing in Lancaster County and around the state to this project um, is partly reflecting the way in which um, community members really feel completely left out of this, this process. Um, in the lead up to the, that uh, draft environmental impact study coming out from uh, from FERC, um, basically giving the initial green light to this project, um, there were over 6,000 public comments that were made. And uh, of those 6,000 public comments that were submitted on the Atlantic Sunrise Project from uh, primarily from uh, local you know, Pennsylvania residents, um, 96% were opposed to the project. Um, in Lanc- comments that came from Lancaster County residents, 98% opposed the project. And yet um, FERC issues this statement saying we see no significant impact. And uh, so I think it's, um, you know, community members are feeling like we're not interested in, in trying to determine who in our community or what environmental uh, 
features of our community should be sacrificed, we actually want to say no to this project. Let me follow up on something that Chris Stockton from Williams Partners said earlier. Uh, he said that uh, taking into consideration the comments that have been made by residents al along the, the route of the pipeline, that they have changed half of their, their original plans. You know, he made it sound as if we are taking, uh, you know, the residents' concerns into consideration. You don't buy that? Not at all, because the, you know, the, the point is not still, you know, are you accepting the point, are you accepting this community's statement that we don't want the pipeline? All you're doing is saying who should be sacrificed. So the initial route was actually supposed to come through uh, our property, right through our woods, tear down our woods, right off of Conser Lancaster County Conservancy property, through our woods onto a preserve farm. Um, since then, that route has been adjusted. Uh, I don't get any joy out of having our property spared so that my neighbor's is now sacrificed. And I think that's a really fundamental point that we need to make. Mm -hmm. uh, Melinda, I want to bring you into uh, the conversation as, as well. Um, you know, there are people from the outside looking at this. And I think Marie touched on this, that uh, you know, no one... Uh, wants to say, yeah, just run this pipeline through my project, through my property. There are people who would say this is a NIMBY thing, that it is not in my backyard, that no matter any kind of project of this scale that someone would uh, plan, that you or others would oppose. What do you say to people like that? I think the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline project is one that is mostly for export. They've already made contracts for the next 15 to 20 years with people. And if you recall what Stockton, um, Mr. Stockton said was, it could go to UGI. He never directly answered your question. Well, it could be this. It could be that. It goes to Transco Line, and that Transco Line provides gas in different places. But they have the... Um, gas that would be traveling through the ASP already contracted for a number of years, and a lot of that is going to India and Japan and China. And we know that it's uh, not China, India and Japan. <laughs> and we, we know this. So I think the for us, the point is I, I haven't stopped fighting this, even though it's out of my backyard, because I believe that communities should have rights to say no. I think that an outside corporation should not have the right to come into a community and exploit their rights and their properties for their benefit, for the benefit of the industry. Mm -hmm. I just yeah. want to add to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen opposition from environmental groups and people on the left who are, uh, object to more fossil fuel infrastructure. And then I think the NIMBYism is part of it. But also on the right, you've seen pushback from people um, who really care about private property rights. And as I mentioned earlier, um, when some of these products are being exported um, and you're tearing out my backyard to send it overseas, that, that's just a, a, a tough sell to make. And I think that's, that's hard for some of these companies to have a social license to do some of these projects, as opposed to, say, a highway system where, you know, you might be upset if they're putting a highway through your property, but you could hop in your car and drive on it, at least. Uh, I think people feel like even if... Uh, these products won't, maybe they're exported for a while, and then maybe we could build more uh, refining capacity here in the United States. That, that That's down the road. It's not right now. Well, let me ask the Clatterbucks then. Would you feel differently about this if this gas was being made available to Pennsylvanians? If it was being used locally rather than being sent to the other mid-Atlantic states, uh, to Alabama, as Chris Stockton said, maybe overseas, as you just suggested, would you feel differently about this if local Pennsylvanians could take advantage of it? I think that I'll speak for myself. I would have early on, but through my education since March of 2014, I've learned the damage that fracking does, injection wells, the damage that injection wells are doing, earthquakes and destruction of people's water. And I've come to the point that I believe, and a lot of our group at Lancaster Against Pipelines believe, that this is not a good thing for our community and our environment, that um, fracking fossil fuels is not a good way to get it out of the ground. It's not good for the environment. It's got not good for people who live around the fracking areas. And so our opposition has grown to be broader than just the pipeline. You know, and that's a whole other show <laughs> <laughs> that, that we will right. address. I want to bring uh, Susan Capiello in. Miss um, Capiello, you are a property owner along the route of the Atlantic Sunrise. I understand that uh, one of the, the main reasons that you oppose it, though, is your property values, Correct. Absolutely. Tell and me about it. Value. What What did you learn, well, and uh, what did you learn when you were told that uh, this could be coming over your property, and uh, why you do oppose it? 
Well, I oppose it. I've had this property uh, for over 30 years, and uh, we are in our own business, and any business expenditures that we ever made, we had to pay for in full at the right price. So I can't understand. Of course, I was offered money, but one-sixteenth of what my property is worth. Uh, So this is part of my retirement. This was part we had planned to maybe develop the the land down the road. And this is not a 10-inch or 12-inch pipeline. This is a 42-inch pipeline. And it definitely, you cannot grow anything on it. Of course, uh, I'm against the pipeline, but originally they had a different route that went through the existing right-of-way that there is existing now by PP&L along the River Hill route. That was their original route. Now they are going destroying many properties. Many people have taken the money they offered, uh, and they're going through Main Street, Conestoga, USA, a 42-inch pipeline going right through Main Street. It's absurd. I want to talk to someone else about property values. Chris is in Southern Lancaster County. Chris, you're on the air. Hi, Chris. Hi, uh, Scott. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for um, having this conversation. Um, I also want to say I'm opposed to the pipeline for multiple reasons, but I wanted to um, talk about property values. Uh, I uh, considered um, putting my house on the market well before any letters came out to Williams, uh, from Williams to neighbor, neighbors and property owners. I've had my prop, uh, property on the market for over a year, um, and I have had five buyers uh, tell me they love the house, they would have moved in, but they would not put an offer on my home because of the possible pipeline. Uh, I uh, am actually, uh, originally the, uh, one of the uh, proposals was to go right through my backyard, at the moment, it is across the street, the latest proposal, but I am still in what they call the blast zone. So I want uh, Chris Stockton to hear that I am a person who is and has been directly affected. My property value has dropped. Uh, my neighbor, two houses down, uh, had to drop their uh, value of their house. They sold it for almost $100,000 less than what they put it on the market for. Chris? So how do you, so Chris, how do you, how do you uh, fight that? I mean, when you have five buyers well, who say well, that they, we were bought I, the I house. I don't know how to fight it, Scott. You know, neighborhood really banded hard together and tried to fight. Um, but when I have gone to the public meetings at Millersville, the FERC meetings, the community meetings, and talked to Williams and uh, their their representatives, they continue to deny, deny it, as Chris Stockton tells you today. He denies that it affects property value, but it does. Mm. Well, Chris, good luck. Thank you very much for your, for your call. Um, and Susan, let me bring you in. That has to be something that is a great concern to you then, too. An absolute great concern. I'm 74 years old with my husband. We're both working full time. And this is what this is what we had planned for our future, maybe to build a small log cabin there on top of the hill that has a 10, 10 mile view from the top. And they're going to run a pipeline right across. A 42-inch, and you know what, the the new route that they chose, they have more angles going through different properties and over rivers. Those angles have to be sodded together, mm-hmm. and they have to maybe break down quicker. All right, thank you very much uh, for, for your comments on that. I want to bring the two of you. Marcus, you want to say something? Yeah, I think it's uh, really telling the fact that uh, the way Chris Stockton was a part of the show was a perfect example of how the industry works. And the fact that he refused to come on the show and have any dialogue, only come on if he could say his his piece and then walk away, which is what we as communities feel like happens all the time. So he can come in, they can say whatever they want. They can say, this project will not affect property values. They get that out there and then they walk away and have to, they don't have to respond to someone like Chris who just called in and said, actually, I have a house that I'm trying to sell. For the past year, I've had five people walk away from it because of the proposed pipeline across the street from me. And yet he doesn't have to respond to that. He can say, this, this pipeline could go to Pennsylvanians. It's going to provide all these jobs. But doesn't have to respond to saying, wait a second, 
this is already contracted overseas for the next 20 years. All right, let's take another phone call from Robin in Conestoga. Robin, you're on the air. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, My heart bleeds for everybody who's going to be affected by this project. When I first found out about it, I was amazed that in Manor and Conestoga Townships, they are going to be going through Native American site after Native American site. I'm also a spokesperson for the American Indian Movement. This will not be tolerated. Um, Just in six months, we have registered 12 sites in 2.2 miles of the pipeline in Conestoga Township. They are going to be removing sacred grounds. They are going to be removing burials. We will not tolerate this. When you say you won't tolerate, what do you mean? Uh, The American Indian Movement is willing to come in and occupy. So much like uh, Dakota Access? Yes, sir. Well, tell me about the the Native American land that you're talking about. Uh, Some of it is Susquehannock, some of it is Conestogas. Most of it is tribes that we do not know their names of because we never bothered to learn, and it was before white man's written history. And it's just... This area is epic. It should be registered as a state historic site, Manor and Conestoga Townships, and it is not. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Mark, I saw you shaking your head when uh, when she called. Yeah, I think that um, you know the issue of, uh, of the Native American history is a really important one. And the fact that the tribes who did have this land that was ceded to them by William Penn uh, back in the 1690s, um, they're not here to speak on their own behalf and to defend their sacred grounds and defend their burial sites because they were massacred in 1763 in Lancaster. And um, so I think that's uh, you know another, another piece of the story. Um, there are tribes today, uh, the Nanticoke Lenny Lenape, uh, that are based in New Jersey, um, uh, have written uh, a letter to FERC um, on behalf of the heritage that is represented, uh, the native heritage that's represented in uh, Conestoga Township. And they have said that this pipeline cannot go anywhere through Conestoga, Conestoga Township without desecrating that history. So I think it's a really important uh, and really important part to keep in mind. At one point, I just want to make, getting back to um, what Mark said earlier about how the industry handles uh, people and their sort of PR, public relations efforts, you know, having spent more time, uh, more time talking with them and going to a lot of industry conferences, they are very, very concerned about all the public opposition to these pipeline projects. It was basically the key message and one of the key points of discussion in Pittsburgh in September at uh, the Marcellus Shale Coalition's Shale Insight Conference. They had, you know, national speakers like Harold Hamm, who's an energy advisor to uh, President-elect Donald Trump, and he's the CEO of Continental Resources. He was talking about Dakota Access, and they all had breakout sessions uh, with a lot of state and local officials talking about this as well. So they are very keyed in uh, to the public opposition. And even Williams, I know they were aware of the the problems they had in Lancaster County kind of even before this got going, and they've been... um, kind of surprised about the level of opposition but one of the things they just keep saying over and over again is they just need to tell their story better and get the message out about the economic benefits and the the job creation and I think again one of the problems they have is just that uh, these projects create a lot of temporary jobs but they don't create a lot of long-term jobs and the economic benefits uh, are really less tangible to people and more uh, you know if it's a new manufacturing plant or in the case of Sunoco's Mariner East 2 line, it helped revive this refinery outside Philadelphia, and you know, hundreds of people got jobs. Well, if you live 300 miles away and they're seizing your property and tearing down your trees, you, know, you might not really care about that job. So I think that they are very aware of it and just feel like they need to get their, their message out more. Well, I think, too, in Lancaster County, one of the another really key consideration which generated a lot of opposition is... Uh, the way in which farmland, preserved farmland, has been targeted by this project. Um, there are something like 41 preserved farms just in Lancaster County alone that are violated by the Atlantic Sunrise Project as it's proposed. Um, Karen Martinick, the CEO of Lancaster Farmland Trust, um, she has publicly gone on record and made this statement to FERC saying, quote, 
It is our opinion that the route selected for the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline was chosen specifically to take advantage of the number of farms subject to conservation and agricultural preservation easements because the very easement intended to protect the land also lowers the fair market value of the property. Um, and so I think um, you know this also raises this issue of um, when Chris Stockton, uh, as he loves to say, uh, that he talks uh, to all these people who support the project, I'm not sure who they are, um, but there's also a tendency to, um, by the industry to frame the opposition as activists, as environmental crazies. Um, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. When you look at the opposition, uh, whether it's in uh, at Standing Rock with Dakota Access or whether it's here in Lancaster, um, it's farmers, it's landowners, it's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's independents, it's children, it's teachers. Um, and it's easy to marginalize activists, but the movement's much bigger, and that's why the industry is scared. I have an email here from Thomas who says, uh, my question is, did your guests drive a car to get to your show? Did they heat by gas? Do they travel on a train, cruise ship, buy food at a store with good ship by trains or trucks? If they do nothing of the of above, then they have uh, don't have a right to complain. For the record, I live no less than 600 feet from a pipeline. They are good neighbors. They keep their right-of-way clean. It cannot stand in the way of progress. If, if this would be, we'd have the 19th century. No power plant would have been built. No railroads laid. No highways. No factories built. I think what you're saying is that uh, this is progress. I just want to add another thing the industry feels, at least that I've heard them talk about at these conferences, is they really do feel like, hey, we make modern life possible and everybody hates us all the time. So I think that um, they they feel like they get they get no respect uh, for all the, the good they bring and that it's just in the background of our lives, our warm homes and our, our cars full of fuel. Um, but certainly they know very well that they, they have a, uh, to do a better job of um, talking to people and uh, dealing with people. A phone call here from Charlie in Lancaster. Just got back from Standing Rock. Charlie, you're on the air. Okay. Hello, Char- Charlie? Are you there? Here, let me... Charlie, are they? Are you there? Yeah, there we there go. There you go. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, this is just another example of uh, the corporate use of uh, state power uh, to further the, the interest, private interests, that benefit a few at the expense of the many. Uh, what, what, that's what's happening out in North Dakota. That's what's happening in Lancaster and throughout the state in Pennsylvania. The assumption by the corporations in the way that they're going about this is that they will get their way one way or the other. That's why they've already started work um, on the drill pad site next to the Missouri River or next to Cannibal. Uh, that's why they've already uh, built a lot of the pipeline for Atlantic Sunrise in the state. I find it very offensive that they assume that they will get their way instead of coming to uh, the people for permission and to work together well in advance without that assumption that they have some uh, uh, greater rights than the people that they're affecting. Charlie, I wish I had more time to talk to you about your experiences at Standy Rock. Thank you very much for your, your call. Another pipeline planned for Pennsylvania that would cross through the mid-state is the Mariner East 2. It would be located next to an existing pipeline, Mariner East 1. While not getting as much attention as the Atlantic Sunrise, there are those who oppose Mariner East 2 as well. One of them is Ralph Bloom. He owns a farm in Cumberland County. Mr. Bloom, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. All right, so tell me why you oppose. Uh, you already have uh, Mariner East 1, which uh, w- would haul, would take uh, gasoline, oil across the state to, uh, to Philadelphia. Uh, why do you oppose Mariner East 2? Well, Mariner 1 used to pump gasoline and stuff east to west, and it was not near as explosive as this ethane and stuff that they're going to put in it, which they put in it now because they have repurposed that line put in 1934 uh, with whatever the metals were for the pipeline, and they've increased the pressure considerable, making that line basically unsafe, and they want to put a new one in next to it uh, with a lot more pressure. The the, uh, danger zone for the new pipeline would include my complete farm and a school that is on the farm property, plus a lot of other buildings around here. All it needs is one leak. And which happened out at Salem, and 
that everything around here is history. And it makes my property worth nothing. I wouldn't live in the house. Uh, the pipeline is only 100 feet from the house. I will not live in that house if there's a pipeline there. But you, you know, I just, I just don't feel safe with it. But uh, Mariner East 1 already goes through your property. What's the difference with 2? Well, the, the blast zone on Mariner 1 is like 300 feet. Right now, I'm about 400 feet from that, so I'm still, I would survive that. But if Mariner East 2 were to go, where I'm sitting now would, would melt. Because uh, the, the small the line that went in Salem melted siding a half a mile away, and you know it would just completely destroy everything I have. The neighbors, it's going between two houses over here. They're only 150 feet apart, and it's going to go right through the middle of them. And they've got small kids. And if there is a leak, they they're telling us what you have to do, how do you evacuate so you can get out of there without safely. You can't make a cell phone call. You can't start an engine. You can't turn on a light. You can't use a telephone. You're supposed to evacuate by foot to 2,000 feet. My wife is handicapped. She can't walk 100 feet. So what does she do? She burns. I, um, you know, I think another issue I wanted to bring up with you, and I only have about 90 seconds left, is that uh, you're very concerned about eminent domain. You have said that uh, you, you, you will not agree to giving up a portion of your property, and there have been, uh, there's been some talk about them taking the property, right? Yeah, yeah they filed eminent domain on me. It's going to, uh, I'm scheduled to go to the Commonwealth Court. Uh, another friend of mine, his is going to Supreme Court. Uh, it sort of says there's no no eminent domain for private gain. The only people that are getting any, anything out of this whole deal would be Sunoco and the people that's taking it out of the ground. It, there's no no provisions being made to, to offload anywhere. They're claiming they can do it. Yes, they can, but it's originally going to Marcus Hook to be exported overseas aboard uh, six ships that. Uh, uh, was seen in the harbor, you know, that's uh, shale gas for Europe. That's where they're going. It's not doing anybody here in this state any good. Mr. Bloom, thank you and very much. Thank you very much for being with us today. We are almost out of time. Uh, Marie, about 30 seconds. I just want to add that, you know, Sunoco would say certainly that story about the revitalization of Marcus Hook is a big success story for the Philadelphia area. It was shuttered in 2011 amid poor market conditions. It's come back to life again because they're shipping natural gas liquids through the Mariner East One. Uh, so certainly they would say that that it has benefited Pennsylvania. We've had a lot of people on today's show. I want to thank uh, Mark and Melinda Clouderbuck for being with us today, Marie Cusick, uh, Chris Stockton from Williams, and Ralph Bloom. Thank you all for being with us tomorrow. Coming up tomorrow, a spy in Lancaster County.